Hey, it's EDB. That's Eric Deshaun Baird for this day 15 of month one, 2024. We're all gathered together today to celebrate the life and legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., what would have been his 95th birthday. And we're going to get that started in just a few moments. Good Martin Luther King Jr. Day. How are, excuse me, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Put some respect on that man's name. Yeah, I got to put some respect on that man's name. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's right. Yes, you know how y'all are. He's not Mr. King. He's Dr. King. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's good to be with you on this fine morning. All of you nice, lovely people, even from my home, it smells like Old Spice and Ben Gay. It's so wonderful being here with you at the home. And uh, my dear mama, we'll go ahead and get started with you and and uh, your wonderful uh, moment of cantatory, if you please. Cantatory, <laughs> that's a good new word. <laughs> yeah, cantatory. Okay, you uh, you ready? I'm ready for this cantata. Okay. Thank you. 
so glad this is audio and people can't see me sitting here acting crazy and dancing all over the house and acting like I'm directing the orchestra that you're playing. I told you I'm tired of you lying to me because I asked you, I said, Mama Bear, you going to play a cantata? She said, no, I ain't going to play no cantata. I got one thing in my mind. And that was a whole cantata right there. That was a whole cantata. That's about seven, eight but pieces. Some right of it I wasn't supposed to play. Some of it, I don't know where it came from. I, that was <laughs> really that. <laughs> some of it just played all by itself. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you the truth. That wasn't that wasn't all that wasn't all the stuff I had practiced. Quite frankly, <laughs> yeah, that 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 was a musical in itself, and. And, well, uh, and I, I hope you all accepted it, and it went well, because I got there, and then all of a sudden, my fingers looked like they were just going all by themselves. Well, I told you earlier today, I, said, I told you your fingers would figure it out. See, you need to learn from me. Okay, then, well. We shall overcome. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. 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 Anything you want to say while, while you got the flow? Since you're the old civil rights battle actor, anything you want to say, I'll give you some room to speak today. No, I just thank you that uh, for my life, really, and for my musical ability and that I'm able to share with you. Thanks mm. to your grandmother. I really, I really am, I, I'm appreciative of the fact that I'm able to do this and share mm. with you. I really am. Is there anything that's on your mind? You know, you're one of our pioneer sisters. and uh, Well, you ain't no sister no more. You didn't graduate to Mammy. But you but, know what but, I do think about is how uh, the younger people now don't know hardly anything about the struggles that, you know, have come and about Martin Luther King, Jr. I, I, that's what concerns me more. It really does. Mm. Yeah, we have those talks a lot. You said if I was just five days younger, I'd be out there marching and singing, and and uh, so we try to figure out how to how to get you in here and let you uh, say some things. We don't want to overload you with thoughts because you got so many good ideas in your brain, you can't figure out what to what to put out. So we try to just get one or two details out of you, but. Uh, there's a lot of things locked up inside that head of yours. Oh, really? Uh, oh, yeah, there's a lot of things locked up inside that head of yours. A lot of a lot of things firsthand dealing with the struggle. I tell folks all the time, I was talking to a lady the other day about you, and I told them, I said, uh, the lady said something about, uh, I don't remember the details, probably shouldn't go into that, but I said, I know a woman who, who couldn't get a job in her field because of her color and her 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 her, her race, and, or what, not just her race, her race is your color, but her gender. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we talk about people of success. You know, some, some of us young people look down on poor people uh, because you feel like, well, they were just lazy, but some of them didn't have the options that others had especially in your generation where you wanted to be a musician and other things and that thing just wasn't available in certain places. And and, uh, and, and so those so are things. Like, and, uh, the science, they, they wouldn't mind the music, but the uh, science. Oh, you wanted to be a scientist. That's right. Oh, That's yeah. Right. See, I was in microbiology. Now, they sent me away from here. They wouldn't let me uh, uh, go to school at MCV. They uh, they paid for me to get out of Virginia to go anywhere but go to MCV. Microbiology, medical technology, that's what I – music was my minor. But uh, I could have <clears throat> done that somewhere, but not that. Uh-huh. Where yeah. is, what was the MTV? MC, yeah, MCV here, Medical College of Virginia. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, All right. They, they would – uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So those are the little stories that, that most folks uh, don't know about. I knew it wasn't music, but I couldn't figure out what it was. And mm-hmm. I, knew if I, yeah. I knew if I pumped you, you'd tell me. <laughs> and then when I came back, he wouldn't hire me anywhere here. 
So that's why I had to leave town then. They wouldn't because they wouldn't hire me over at um, Norfolk General and whatever. So. Um. Well, those are the the wonderful stories that when you talk about uh, uh, the struggle of people and the current struggle of people that uh, that uh, we are we are dealing with. I would like to take some moments here for a personal time. Uh, you heard from Mama Bell. You know, back in the day, we used to have a little thing called testimony service. I don't have time to talk about anything from a testimonial perspective. I don't have time to do all that. Uh, I don't have time. I wish I did, but I don't. But, you know, there's things up here, Mama Bell, that uh, one of our delegates came into town, and and uh, I'll say this and then I'm going to move on, but they came into town and they were making all these different statements. I said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, before you go and start talking about how poor we are and how decrepit we are, first you should learn about what we did. And so we took Grandmama out there, maybe a year or two, no, longer than that, because this was before COVID. And she walked up there on Church Street, and she talked about Mama Bell, and Grandmama can tell you about Church Street and the, the economic empowerment that that brought to Norfolk and, and to mostly African-American people here. And, and so, like, if I could do testimony service, I would do that, but I don't have time to do that. I don't have time. So what I would like to do, is on this morning, uh, take a few moments to to pause for you. And I would like for you to think in your own way, to have a personal time in your own way. I don't want to tell you how to pray. I don't want to tell you how to meditate. I don't want to tell you how to do any of that. But there are some things that are on your mind and on your heart and the way that you see this world. Uh, both past, both present. Uh, we take a few moments to do that. Just pause. Maybe for you it's giving thanks. Uh, as them old folk used to say, how I got over, my my soul looks back and wonder how I got over. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it's realizing that because, uh, or this day, should I say, gives you hope that the the struggle or the situation that I find myself in now, when I look at what these trailblazers of old, and I look at what they have accomplished, the things that they've overcome, the trials and the tribulations that they endured, maybe, just maybe, if there was some hope for them, there may be some hope for me. That's something to consider. Or maybe it's just appreciation. Appreciation because you realize that you are the recipient of somebody else's struggle. If it had not been for these giants, we would not sit in coffee shops and we would not work who, who we work with and love who we love and do what we do in many cases. And finally, maybe it's complete and utter appreciation for those who had to lose so that we could win. Now, you might say, well, that has nothing to do with it. Yeah, because... Somebody had to lose so that we could win. Ultimately, there was an ultimate price for that that win, and you know about that one. We talked about that on yesterday. So somewhere you find yourself in that area. Somewhere. And after we have you had that moment. My dear granny will give us a little prayer whenever she feels like cutting in. Most gracious and all wise Father, we just thank you for this day. And we thank you, dear God, because you let us see the legacy of Dr. Martin Luther King. 
He was what you had for him to do. He was strong. He was courageous. He left a legacy back here for us to press on. Press on to that monster high calling, knowing that the things that we had endured, that we could endure because of you, dear God. We just thank you this morning. We thank you as we look at his life, dear God. He went through struggles, but yet he kept the faith. And, God, you're telling us to keep the faith. Don't yield to temptation. Don't worry about what people say or what people do, that we can do what you have called us to do. Because, God, you have our back. You are strengthening us. You are making us strong that we can stand tall and cry loud and lift our voices and let others know that you are God. And besides you, there is none other. And with you, God, we are the best there is. We are your children, God, and we just thank you this morning. We thank you for the struggles that he went through because, Jesus, you went through struggles ahead of him. And you you showed us, oh, God, the road to walk. Help us to stay faithful to you. As we read your word, God, open up our understanding, dear God, that we going to have struggles too, but you are with us. Help us to realize, God, that you're going to bring us out on top. Your way is not our way, but your way is the right way, dear God. And help us, dear God, to depend on you. Help us to look to you, dear God, from whence our health and strength come, God. Whatever we have, God, is because of you. We thank you this morning, God. We just want to tell you thank you. Thank you for the strength. Thank you for the ability. Thank you for your wisdom that you give us, God. We just say thank you because it all comes from you, dear God. And we say thank you. Help us to be encouraged this morning. Help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to open up our ears that we might hear you speak, Lord, and that we might go forth in your way, not turning to the left nor to the right, but keep straight with you. We just want to thank you this morning. We thank you, God. As all these, as the people gather us today, help them to realize it's all about you. You gave him that vision, and you want us to go on and accomplish that vision because this was from you, God. And we see things that come to pass, and we just want to say thank you. We thank you. We praise you. Bless our pastor, God. Keep him encouraged. Keep his eyes focused on you. Keep him walking up right before you. Don't let him stray one way or the other, but let him know that you are there for him. Let him know that you made him a teacher to teach the people, God. Which way to go. And we just want to glorify your name. And we said thank you this morning. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen and amen. Amen. Mama Bell? Yes. You got one more in you? One more what? <laughs> our, our famous anthem. I'm going to introduce our speaker. And I thought you might, since Grandmama prayed that prayer, I thought that. Oh, you want we, me to play uh, our favorite song? Yeah, you'll say our favorite song. Okay. I'm gonna introduce the speaker while you while you head in that direction. Oh, we got a speaker. Oh, man. yeah. I didn't even hang up. Okay. <laughs> <here I'm. laughs> After you play, we're gonna hear from our favorite, uh, my favorite. I call him my dear mentor, Mr. Roy Perry Bay, who's a civil rights activist here, uh, legal mind, and all sorts of things. We'll hear from him in just a few moments. Mama Bell. Okay, here I go.
Sir, thank you uh, so much, and it's such an honor and a pleasure to be with you this morning. Uh, my soul was blessed listening to the prayer and the music, and just prior to this, I was listening to Mahalia Jackson, which was uh, one of Dr. Martin Luther King's favorite artists, um, and who also sang in his funeral. I was most fortunate to meet Dr. King uh, in my life, and um, he bought me a strawberry milkshake, which was his favorite, which was his last visit to Norfolk. But as I sit here this morning, and I think about all the great voices I've heard this morning that preceded us, that had to deal with the swells of segregation and discrimination and violence, and the denial of basic freedoms and human rights uh, that everyone should enjoy, it fills my heart. I think about a passage, one of Dr. Martin Luther King quotes this morning, and it was one of his favorite quotes, as a matter of fact, and he would say, life's most precious and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? As I reflect on that this morning and the work that God has blessed to put at my hand, I often get asked the question, why? Why would you do for folk who are unconcerned? Why would you sacrifice for people who would not support what you're doing, not even their own self-interest? And I go back to that quote, what Dr. King asked then, and he would ask now. Life's most precious and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? To respond to that question, I believe, from my experience, you have to do it unconditionally for others, and you have to do it without fear or doubt. As we look at civil rights then and we look at civil rights now, while we have made much progress, we have also come to a standstill in many respects. I heard one of the mothers this morning ask the question or pose the concern about young people who do not know Dr. King. I would like to build on that and say that there are many adults, young and old, who do not know Dr. King. Now, I know that may seem alarming, but because of the attack in America on us as a people and the fight for survival or progress, if you will, where those who have spent their livelihoods chasing windmills and money and influence and acceptability had no time then and have no time now for Dr. King. You know, when I hear people quote Dr. King and talk about Dr. King, many of these people have never sacrificed anything for others as Dr. King did. When I look at civil rights today, we still have an urgency with mass incarceration of our people, mass violence and self-inflicted violence among our people, the lack of knowledge of our own people, of themselves and their purpose has caused such a swell in the land in America that we have to pull on God when we're burying our children 
before we go. When you see a generation of people now are so twisted and perverted and love darkness rather than the light, love compromise for evil rather than truth, this is a sad time we're in. I pleaded with leaders everywhere, and in particular in Virginia, to let my people go, the young people, the old, the elderly, in bondage, the widow, in bondage, in America, in Virginia. I try as best I can to share much of what I'm saying to you this morning with everyone in my orbit and circle of influence, that this is no time for us to lay around in America and be disappointed, accept marginalization, accept that we don't make a difference. I believe every person make a difference. I believe it is time now for those of us here at this moment to ask ourselves the question, the persistent question that Dr. King rose. What are we doing for others? We have a great task ahead of us for an example. We're nearing one of the most dangerous elections and times in American history. This is a deciding moment of how we would treat our women and children and our young men and adults. I know with a lot of the confusion that this is just politics, nothing can be further from the truth. The most dangerous moment we're in now is not rising to the occasion of self-governance. We are allowing people to govern over us and to rule us and our families and our children and our communities that have no interest in us as human beings. They have no respect or interest in our God that we serve. These people are evil. This is the greatest moment we're in now. I would encourage all of us to stand with one voice. I would encourage us to come together to support those that are standing for what's right. And I want to go back to the election now, this year, that is so dangerous. And I don't mean personal danger to us as human beings in our personal capacity. I mean as a society. We're now looking at a reflection of what's right is wrong and what's wrong is right. And we must stand against this. We must pull on God for divine intervention because many are in sport and play. Many are now uh, drunken spirits, drugged spirits, fearful spirits. This is a very difficult time we're in now. And so as I look at civil rights then and I look at civil rights now, it was never just about us. It was about setting God's people at liberty, the liberation of God's people of all people. I know particularly that we have struggles most common to us, food, shelter, housing. You've never had so many people living on subsistence now than then. More people are living on welfare than then and proud of it, of not having the ability to provide for themselves or their families. And I know we can talk much about those of us who do provide, but no one person is above the society. So our young people today, dreams deferred, 
lack of engagement, more absolved with intellectualism and social media. And what I'm saying, I'll break it down this way. Today, we are more interested in being on the Internet. That is our friend. That is our comfort for many of our people today, which makes them lost, because that is not your only form of communication. Human being to human being is your best communication in the world. Now, because of these technologies, they've allowed us to connect in ways that we otherwise would not be able globally. But isn't it so sad that we are right here together in the community among each other and we can't connect to the next human being? This is the dangerous place that we now have found ourselves in, social isolation within our own communities, within our own homes. This is a sad time that we're in now with this antisocial behavior that we find ourselves, and no one is concerned about the other person. When I think about even ministry, and we don't have the arms or the help for the widow, that is a civil rights issue. We should take care of the widow. We should aspire to open pathways for the young. We should be in a position to deploy and open up opportunities for our people. We don't see this on a mass scale. What we have is the preferential position that me, myself, and I, and I'm okay, and I have no need of of anything. Amen, too. And so we've got this mentality of being in the pretty bird cage with no substance and no purpose and no need for anyone. This is the dangerous place we have found ourselves. This is the place, as Dr. King would say, we're sitting back with interposition in our lips while those who commit atrocities and injustices in our communities and in our worlds, we're silent. Uh, When we're watching times when men, women, children, and animals are being bombed and murdered and slaughtered in mass numbers, and we're not moved to pull on God, we're not moved to, to stand up and make our voices known and heard that that is a human being there. And we will not accept that of any government, of any people, of any persuasion. But we're silent. I ask the question of ministers and those alike. What kind of human being can you be when you're seeing this injustice and you fear man rather than God, you fear people rather than God, that you have nothing to say about it? You have nothing to say about it. This is a dangerous time we're in. When I look at my people in Virginia, with the mass incarceration of their sons and daughters and children and loved ones and extended families and others, languishing, warehoused in our jails, in our prisons, yes, we've got to stop committing the crimes. Yes, we've got to stop killing each other. But that cannot happen until we first establish that that's a human being there. And we show the kind of love to human beings that is necessary, that they understand they're important, they're made in the image and likeness of God. We must not continue down this road of mass incarceration of our people only. We're not the only ones committing the crime. And so, therefore, we must tell our legislators, our pastors, our so-called social activists and others, It's time for you to speak up and out, and it's time for you to get in them boardrooms and sit at them political tables of decision and make a decision to let God's people go. Now, there are those that we can never allow back in society. They're too uncivilized. They're too dangerous. They have no respect for human life. But we are incarcerating people on that same level that we should not be. 
This should not be allowed. We should tell the government that food stamps and this social program of bondage, enough. We can spend trillions of dollars on a war effort. We can send men to the moon, but we can't have health care for everybody. We can't have daycare for working parents. We can't have the space that allows talent to grow and deploy and employ because somebody got to pick up the trash. Everybody ain't going to pick up the trash, but you got to have somebody pick up the trash. Somebody's got to scrub the floor. Somebody's got to do that work. And there should be opportunity. America owes us nothing but an opportunity. We cannot be silent while opportunity is being taken from a people, from us in America, and be satisfied with that where you and I can't even live in our own neighborhood safely, can't walk across the street safely, can't go into public square without being exposed to some disease or violence because people don't care because the idea is I don't care either. And we must not listen to those voices who would put us in bondage of fear saying don't do that. Don't speak out on that. You know what danger you place us in. We're already in danger living in fear. That is bondage. When you live in fear, that is bondage. And so from the perspective of civil rights, we cannot be silent in this moment. We cannot be in this moment. I am fighting as hard as I know how God gives me strength. And I'm going to say it, to make sure that an evil man like Donald Trump will never be president again of the United States. I am fighting and pulling on God to encourage everyone around me in my orbit. Take a stand, take a moral stand, because this is darkness. This is troubling to allow someone that would put us in bondage, that would kill us and murder us, that would put our children in cages, that would take manhood away from man, where he is more afraid of man than God. This is a difficult time we're in. We have to make a decision. We have to make a choice. Dr. King would say, where right and wrong is concerned, there can be no compromise. Look how many of our people are compromised today and justified they're being compromised with evil, with darkness. No backbone, won't stand up for anything, won't fight and defend for nothing, but will quickly go out and kill their own brother, will quickly put down their own brothers and sisters. This is a difficult moment we're in. This is the defining moment. So when God looks on us, he can say job well done, but it's got to be well done, and we can't be passive in this moment. And too many folk are passive in this moment trying to appease someone else, trying to be looked on favorably by someone else, trying to be accepted by others. We have to stand and we have to fight with all that's in us. Some of us are prayer warriors. Some of us are workers of the ground. Some of us are workers at the boardroom tables. Some of us, God has allowed to be in a resourceful position and financial and otherwise. All hands on deck today. All hands on deck. There is a mass genocide happening among our people and it's not just physical death, it's arrogance. The pompousness of some of us to think we're better and look down on our own people. This kind of interposition, this kind of war mentality, this kind of evil heart, we have to pull on God to root it out of our people. When I go down the street and I see people homeless and now people have become professional beggars and professional pet handlers and they said, I will drop out of society and why should I work and do these things when I can just beg? 
and a beggar never rise to his full potential. So we've got to pull on God this morning. We've got to pull on God. The level of violence we're seeing among our women, our young women and our young men, we've got to pull on God this morning. We've got to pull on him for a divine intervention. We've got to pull on him to strengthen our men and our women, that that spirit, that same spirit, that Holy Spirit, would embody our people, that they would want and desire God for that indwelling and that feeling, that they would stand up and be the men and women of God. You know, I hear so often about religion. And I hear so often this idea of religious uh, theology replacement. And what I can say to all of this, as I said earlier, intellectualism, man trying to explain and speak for God instead of obeying what God has already said and say what thus say the Lord. Huh? But in reverse, they want to explain everything. They want to be curious about everything. God has already spoken, and that settles it. Now, either we're going to do what he say do, or we need to just stop pretending and perpetrating, because God didn't say that, what we're hearing folks say. He spoke up and out against injustice. He sent those and got in the middle to stand so that others could benefit. Now, what are the others doing? Nothing. They're operating as if they have privilege and hiding in fear. This has to change. This has to change. So the question today, the persistent question today, is what are we doing for others? What are we doing for others? What are we allowing people to do in our name that deprive the elderly and the widows, the sick and the shed-ins? the displaced and those who are physically challenged. What are we doing today for those who are languishing in our nursing homes and assistant living facilities? Are we even visiting the jails and registering people to vote that can vote? Are we even doing that? Are we creating opportunities? for our young people so they can put the guns down in the drugs. No, what we have here is adults want to tell you it's time to do drugs now. We're going to have marijuana cannabis shops now. Everybody's promoting this, but I remember. I remember in the 60s, what did they say? Look at that boy, they on them drugs. I don't know why they on them drugs. Now they on the drugs, the very drugs that they condemned and looked down on others and say, I ain't no drug addict. Now today we want to be proud to be legal drug out, legal drug addicts. This is a sad time we're in. This is a sad time we're in. Now when we need to be standing for God, we're drug out. This is dangerous. This is dangerous. And while we're drugged out, the enemy is putting our children and our families and our communities in bondage because we are missing in action. This is sad. This is a sad time when you have liquor stores on every corner, Southland Corporation busting out with rolling paper and and beer and wine on every corner in the neighborhoods where poor people are so situated to keep us drugged out to kill the pain. The pain won't go because you numb it. It's still pain. And we have to object to this. Look at the many young people. I just spent the last couple of days talking to a family member about getting a lung transplant because he can't stop smoking anything. And it sad my heart that we're now at a place where we're fornicating this to others. Yeah, let's do this and do the drugs. Yeah, this and for whatever justification we justify it. You can't stumble in the kingdom, a drunkard can't enter the kingdom, and a drunkard can't do anything now that needs to be done. This requires a sober mind 
and an upright spirit to fight this war that we're fighting now where we're still fighting for education. Now you can't read this. Now you can't learn this. But you can smoke marijuana in college. You can have up to an ounce in your home. You can just stay drugged out. But don't worry about what, what's in this book because we're not going to let you read it. We're going to banish this book so that we never know the truth. And we are not fighting against that. Something is wrong with that picture. When you tell me I can get the drugs, but I can't get the truth, I can't learn the truth. When you tell me I can have the drugs, just don't stand up with any opposition to what we're doing. And we accept that because that's a personal choice. And nobody has to violate your will to commit suicide. Huh? So if I tell you you can have the drugs, and now the politicians want to tell us, instead of education for our young people, instead of better opportunities for our people, we're going to just have cannabis shops so everybody can smoke reefer, marijuana, whatever they want to call it, or some other cocktail that they put together and have us walking around like zombies. I have never seen such a moment as I'm seeing now where people can't separate themselves from drugs. When we came up and we did drugs, whether it was heroin or cocaine, you couldn't separate yourself. It just had you inundated. I don't know what they're smoking today that they can't do anything but that. I've never seen such a thing in all my time. So captivated, so imprisoned, so burdened down this way that we can't even defend ourselves as a people. So it's a sad moment. I'm absolutely convinced that if Dr. King was walking the earth physically now, he would cry and he would mourn at the condition of our men, women, and children now, which means there's more people suffering, there's more people in bondage now than there was then. There's more violence committed among us than was committed on us. And there's more hatred among us now than then because there's more of us. Nobody's talking love now. That seems to be a punk term, you know. We ain't going to talk love, see. We're we, we going to be strong. We're men. We, we, don't, we don't have to talk love. And absence of love, the replacement of that is hate. The replacement of that is darkness. So now we're seeing the real that people don't care. They just don't care. It's a sad time we're in. And so, yes, there's much I'd like to share with all of you this morning, but I will say that join with me to pull on God. Pull on God that he would bring down these ruthless leaders. I know they have to run their course and they play a role right now. But we have to ask God to shorten the pain, to shorten the space of hate and violence. When you have us talking about, as a people, more revenue for the war complex to launch more bombs and more military action and no peace, right now as we speak in the comforts of our, of our homes, there are people in other parts of the world, children, little children, that don't have fresh drinking water, don't have food and medicine, don't have shelter, just the open sky and bombs and violence all around them and visiting on them and taking out their parents right now. And we talk about why this is necessary because you have one group that hates another when in fact what you have is a form of violence, of cleansing, ethnic cleansing, where we saw this in the 60s to try to eliminate us as a people. We're now seeing it in the Middle East. We're seeing it in Africa. We're seeing it in California. We're seeing it in Virginia. We're seeing it in Texas. We just don't look at it that way. When we're burying more of our people at a rapid rate now, at a fast clip than ever before, more diseases are plaguing us. This is by design. 
more fast food restaurants in our community pumping these steroid foods and drugs into us that we die in early death or obesity or that we're mentally messed up. But we're not responding to any of this. These are the wealthy families that are have gotten us in bondage here. And and many are lost. Like, what do we do about this? How do we respond to this? We've got to pull on God for an answer. Because right now, many people don't have an answer. They're searching and they're looking for an answer. And the people that they're looking to for an answer has about as much sense or an answer to the problem as they do. That's the blind leading the blind now. And now we got others who are just curious. They're so curious that they're despondent until the next intellectual rationale seems to approach and then life springs up again that amounts to nothing but a cycle, a cycle of stupidity, a cycle of ignorance and despondency. And so if Dr. King was walking today, he would say, get up. Get up. You remember the four lepers that says, why sit we here till we die? We're going to die anyway. We might as well get up and do something and make a difference. So if I would speak to civil rights today, that's what I would say. Get up. For the same reason you can make to lay there and to stay there, you can make an excuse and the same reason to get up. But somebody's got to tell you that because we're languishing in a stupor. And, Brother Eric, you let me know when my time is running. I remember Dr. Joe Rose. Some of you may remember Dr. Joe Rose, one of my other mentors, and he would ask the question of men, and, and, you know, he had retired for many years, and he would always ask the question, we'd be together sometime, we'd go get breakfast in the morning if we weren't eating it at his house, and he would ask a man, what, what are you doing now? He says, I'm retired. He said, man, the only time you retire is when you're in the ground pushing up daisies. Until then, you need to be working. You've never seen so many people that they don't want to work in your life. I mean, this is a sad, this is a sad situation now. And so this is why young people don't know Dr. King, because you've got grown people that are lost and don't know him and don't care to know him. But, you know, anyone can quote him. Anyone can go on YouTube and can find something and recycle that information and perpetrate as if there's some substance in what they're saying, but what they're saying, there's no work behind it. See? I say if you want to quote Dr. King, do what he did. Stand up. If you want to talk about civil rights, do what he did. Stand up and do the work. And don't tell others, oh, well, you can. No, you can do something, too. This is what I say to people. You have a work, too. This ain't just about onlookers and bystanders. All hands on deck. This is what is required in this moment. And so, yes, I've had the good pleasure of meeting many, many great men and women all over the world. Some we know, some we don't. But they all said one thing to me that I'd like to impart with you. They said, when it comes to living, live your life on purpose. And I take that with me every day in my spirit and in my life to live on purpose so that I know at the end of my run, I won't just say I'll be empty. God will have emptied me because I'm living on purpose. And that purpose is the liberation of God's people. And so I'm so thankful that you all allowed me here this morning. There's so much I wanted to say, but I believe he's allowed me to say what I was supposed to say. Get up. Let's live on purpose. Let's unite with one voice in the furtherance of civil and human rights and political rights. 
and let's communicate to our friends and others around us. The choice couldn't be much clearer today is light versus darkness. That's the choice. And when you see a man and a woman doing a good work as the president and the vice president today, and you still have people saying they're undecided, that tells you how much wickedness and evil and disinformation and misinformation is in the earth, that we've got to get on our jobs. We've got to better communicate. We've got to better let people know the choice couldn't be much clearer. The contrast couldn't be much clearer. Light versus darkness. Because if we don't stand now and protect the freedoms we have now and the civil rights we have now, we're going to lose it. And you will never recognize America again. Just remember this. Because this is a defining moment in the next 10, 11 months. And that's all the time we got, the next 10, 11 months. We don't have years, 10, 11 months. And we could face a change in the next 10 or 11 months that will be unrecognizable. This is an urgent moment we're in. This is a dangerous moment we're in. And we've got to shake folk to their core until they understand this what's at stake. We cannot be passive in this moment. We cannot be. We cannot be. And I refuse to be. Brother Barrett, I just want to thank you so much and everyone for inviting me to speak to you. And I just pull on God that he would pull on your heart string this morning, that you would pick up the phone and you would call somebody and you would encourage them and tell them, baby, we only got 10 or 11 months. What you going to do? What you going to do politically here now? And encourage them to pick up the phone. And encourage them to make a commitment today to take people to the polls. Yes, yes. I tell folk all the time, if they're a devil, God then gave you the ability to vote the devil out of office. So if the devil got that much power... Why don't you exercise yours and vote them out of office? Let's do that today. If anything, I would leave with you today. Pick up the phone. Call. Use your influence from wherever you are, from wherever your station is, and tell them the truth. We only got 10 or 11 months. What you going to do? We got some tough choices and decisions to make, and it should be easy. It's light over darkness. That's the choice. So hopefully the scales will fall off their eyes and their brains will become unscrambled and their ears and eyes of understanding would be open that they'll start to march on to freedom for the next generation, that what we do now will set at liberty the next generation so we can set the young people at our feet and we can teach them about Dr. King, and many others, many men and women, because there were women there. There could have been no king without Coretta. We've got to preserve what we have in order to make sure that this next century, young people and old, get a first fresh look at who Dr. King was and Coretta when they see us, just like when they see Jesus, they should see us. They should see him. They should see Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me in in this space and in this moment. It meant so much to me, and I'm so thankful, and I pray that I I haven't let you down. You did a beautiful job. I don't know what to talk to you about. Amen. Amen. Now unto him. Was able to do exceedingly and abundant above all you can ask or think, according to the power that rests within us, henceforth now and forever. 
and all those united together say, Amen. 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 Amen.